Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Uh, towards the end of last year, Debs and I were invited by some friends to join them to eat at Alinea. And when I say eat at Alinea, probably that's the wrong verb to use. Um, if you're not familiar with Alinea, Alinea is, um, has consistently over the last kind of eight or so years uh, been Chicago's top-ranked restaurant and ranked in the top 50 in the world, um, kind of a- as high as in the top 10. And it was just an incredible experience. And, and I've been waiting for an opportunity to use a sermon illustration in one of my sermons because the entire evening was just a smorgasbord of preaching illustrations. And uh, it's just, I'm so excited to share um, just some of the experience that we had. I mean, honestly, it was, it was memorable. It was, it was unforgettable. Uh, every course, and there were 18 or so courses, every single course kind of was exciting, but came with the reality that it was getting closer and closer to the end, and I didn't want that to happen. Um, and, and when the last dessert came, I was desperately disappointed, not because the dessert wasn't amazing. It was this kind of edible piece of art. It was, it was breathtaking, but I was disappointed because the, the evening had ended after three and a half hours of, of kind of visual and sensory experience. It was just amazing. I desperately wanted more. And the, the other thing about the experience at Alinea is it has to be enjoyed with friends and family. Uh, it, it's an absolute waste of time and an absolute waste of money if you go alone. I mean, it really is. Because the whole night is, is engaging with the people that you're with, and, and you discuss food the whole time. You know, oh my goodness, what is that flavor? And, and isn't it crazy how, 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 how that texture played, played mind games? And, and, and I, I wonder how they did that. I mean, it was just an incredible, incredible experience. There was, it was probably the one time that I desperately wanted to be Oprah because I wanted others to share it. I wish I could have gone and said, you know, you can go to Alinea and, and you can go to Alinea and you can go to Alinea and you can go. I, I wanted others to enjoy the experience with me. I wanted more, but I also wanted others to enjoy it with me. And, and it got me thinking how much more so with Jesus, how much more so with the presence of God, how much more so with the kingdom of God. And there's this wonderful text, uh, uh, you don't have to turn there because I've asked you to turn to Ephesians 3, but in Isaiah 25, then the text will come up behind me, but this wonderful text that kind of speaks to that, and Isaiah uh, is, is prophesying the, the kind of fulfillment of the kingdom of God when, 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 when kind of God wraps all things up, and he says this in verse 6, he says, on this mountain, on the mountain of the Lord's presence, basically is what he's saying, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food, step aside Grant Atchets at Alinea. The Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, not just peoples, not just the people with means, not just the people with, with riches who can afford to eat at Alinea, but people who hunger and thirst after Jesus. Uh, the Lord Almighty will prepare a, a rich will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. I mean that's that's the, that's the promise. That's, the, that's, that's where we are heading. That's what God is preparing for his people. If you've been part of this church for any length of time, you'll know that our, our vision statement, our, our banner statement, the, the kind of statement that summarizes who we are as a church is all of Jesus for everyone. And, and that statement is our, it's our ultimate aspiration. It's, it's what we long for more than anything, that, that everyone without exclusion would be able to experience the fullness that is found in Jesus. I mean, it's, it's what was spoken of by Isaiah in verse 25. All people and the fullness of the rich 
banquet that is feasting on the presence and person of Jesus Christ. That's what stirs our heart. And, and also, not only is it our ultimate, aspira- our ultimate aspiration, but it's, it's the thing that, 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 that motivates us and, and, and moves us. It defines our mission. We've, we've experienced, we've tasted the transformative power that comes through relationship with Jesus, through intimacy with the Father. And as we draw close to the Father, He, he is able to, to break off and, 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 and free us from everything that tries to hold us back or weigh us down. And because we've tasted that, we're desperate for more. We're desperate for more of that transformative power and, and more of that freedom and more of that intimacy with the Father. And, and here's the thing. I, I hope this is true for you as it is for me. But, but as we taste more of Jesus, we want others to experience it too. We need to be those kind of uh, spiritual operas saying, you can have more of Jesus and you can have more of Jesus and, and you can have more of Jesus because, because God, Jesus has changed our hearts. That's what is burning with, 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 within us. And, and, and this, 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 this mission statement, this, 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 this banner statement is, 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 it's a rally cry. It's what, it's what gathers us together. It's this, it's this anthem that, that God ha- has given church in the city. This anthem that, that draws us together. This anthem that, that sends us out to go and be the people that God has called us to be, reaching others and sharing the glory of Jesus with others. But in order for this to happen, we need to be those who, who are wholehearted in trusting the Lord. And we need to be those willing to surrender, not to surrender to a church or not to surrender to a mission statement, but to surrender to Jesus. And this idea of trust and this idea of surrender is best described by the value of the value that we consider most valuable, which is the value all of us for Jesus. It's our response to all of Jesus for everyone. Our response is all of us for Jesus, and that's the foundation that we've built this three-part series around, this foundation, this series called All In. Aidan started two weeks ago by talking about lordship, and he preached out of Psalm 23, and, and, and he made this statement that, that true satisfaction is found only when Jesus is truly Lord. And last week, James spoke about, about worship, this, this idea of all in, it's a, it's a statement of devotion that is reflected through worship in response to a revelation of God and a redeemed revelation of ourselves. So you and I are, are all in because Jesus is Lord and we're all in. And, and that desire and that, that expression of being all in is expressed through worship. Now you hear the phrase all in and I'm sure like, like me, you probably think, well, that sounds great. It sounds amazing to be all in, but, but all in is asking something of me. All in almost demands something of me. What does all in actually mean? You think I'm probably going to stand here and I'm going to tell you, here are the five things that you need to do in order to be all in. And I want to say to you that contrary to what you might think, all in doesn't mean more doing. All in means more being. All in doesn't demand more doing. All in is more being. And when we find the door to more being and open it, we'll discover that it actually is the door to more of the kingdom of God. And we're going to unpack these truths in the text that I mentioned from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Let's read those verses together. If you don't have a Bible, they'll pop up on, pop up on the screen behind me. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All in does not mean more doing All in means more being. My friend Tyron, who leads the apostolic team that this church partners with, says that there are three certainties in life. And and actually, he's not right, because many years before Tyron, Benjamin Franklin said there are two certainties in life, and those are death and taxes. So in all reality, there are five certainties in life, but Tyron has added three to Benjamin Franklin's two. So here are Tyron's three certainties to life. God loves you. The devil hates you, and everyone else has a plan for your life. God loves you, the devil hates you, and everyone else has a plan for your life. Don't you know that to be true? I mean, everyone, whether subtly or not so much, continues to tell you and tell me, you know, how we should live or how we should lead or what we should do or how we should respond to certain situations. And the Bible tells us that Jesus knew exactly what it was like for everyone else to have a plan for his life. In John 7 It tells us that this is what Jesus' brothers said to him. They say to him, who thinks that they can change the world by by doing so in secret? If you're serious about what you are doing, come out into the open and show the world who you say you are. You see, everyone, not just Jesus' brothers, but everyone had an expectation or had their expectations or a false self to place upon Jesus. And we still do that now. Whether you are willing to admit it or not, we are placing on Jesus our projections of what a Savior and Lord should look like. We are placing on Him a false self. But Jesus says this to His brothers. He goes on, when, when you set the agenda for your life, He says, any time will do. But my time has not yet come. In other words, my time as specified by my Father in heaven has not yet come. Jesus was was intentional and he was determined to not live according to the false self that others placed on him, but he was determined and intentional to live according to the Father's love and according to the Father's will for his life. He was determined to live according to his true self. And in living according to his true self, he disappointed a lot of people. Maybe you've allowed expectations of others, or maybe you've allowed a false self from other people to be imposed upon your life at the expense of your true self. Most of us are brilliant at turning opportunities into obligations for fear of disappointing people. And in doing so, all we end up doing is doing more. We are brilliant at doing more. 
But I want to say this morning, I think what is what's so important for us to understand, that the, the antidote to more doing is not doing nothing. There is a responsibility for us to determine what are God's values for my life and what are God's goals for my life. What is the true identity that I have in Jesus? Because if we don't take time to determine those values and those goals and live according to them, other people will place those values and goals on us. And so our laziness ultimately leads to busyness. The antidote for more doing is not doing nothing, it's more being. It's discovering what this true self actually is. And so what is the door to more being? Where does, where does all in, where does more being, where does being all in actually start? And it starts in, in verse 14 and 15 where, where Paul writes, as we kneel before God the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So the first of, of three things that I want to suggest to you about where um, all in or where more being starts is this. The door to more being, to being all in, starts with firstly knowing that my heavenly Father names me. My heavenly Father names me. To be named is to have worth and value and dignity and identity and purpose spoken over us. As Paul would later write in verse 17, you can drop your eyes down to verse 17, to, to, to be named is to be rooted and established in the Father's love. To be secure and rooted in, this, in the Father's love. But this, this naming can't be done by anyone. I can't name myself because I am flawed. And I can't have any of you name me. I can't have any of you speak worth and value and purpose over me because guess what? I don't mean to offend you, but you are just as flawed as I am. You see, it's the Father's will, it's the Father's intention for Him to speak value and worth and identity over us. Identity and with it calling and purpose and destiny and even vocation doesn't come from responding to the voices that are out there trying to tell us what we should do. But understanding identity and with it calling and destiny and even vocation comes from the voice of the Father within us calling us to be the very people he's created us to be. Now, I just want to say, I know this idea of the Father, God the Father, my heavenly Father, speaking identity and worth and naming us is very challenging for a lot of us. And there are some very real issues and very real challenges that we have to face in understanding this reality. This is a personal struggle of mine, probably my most intense struggle. And I've shared this before, that, that for some reason, and I think it has to do with, 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 with my past and the relationship I had with my earthly father, but I struggle to relate to God as heavenly father. I, 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 if I'm honest, I project on my heavenly father all the imperfections of my earthly father. But in this area, in this area alone, or not alone, but more than any, I am determined not for my experience to shape my view of God, but my view of God that comes from the Word to shape my experience. And so what I'm learning to be true from God's Word is this, that my Heavenly Father is love, that He is so full of life and blessing, that for all eternity He has been overflowing with it. He is the fountainhead of all goodness, truth, and beauty. My heavenly Father is not created in the image of my earthly Father, nor is my earthly Father a true reflection of my heavenly Father. 
my heavenly father is eternally happy and is for me and he loves me. He is the God of abundance and creativity, justice and hope, redemption and rescue, purpose and meaning. I can legitimately say I am his favorite and I am his treasured possession and I take his breath away without elevating myself or making that any less true for any of you. So the truth is this, that God is not just a father or the father or Jesus' father. God, because I am in Jesus, is my father. And that's true of every single one of you. John writes in his, in his book, in, in, his, in his letter, 1 John chapter 3, he says this, See what great love the father has lavished on us. And in the original language, see what great love, he, he literally means this, of what world is this love. It's otherworldly. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called. There's that identity piece. We should be called children of God. Sorry for bringing in another linear illustration, but there are plenty more that, that where this comes from. So there's going to be more over the weeks to come. But what we ate at Alinea was in the general category of food. But it can't be compared to anything else we've ever eaten before. If I were to grab, or you were to grab a slice of pizza from your favorite neighborhood pizza joint, that also is in the general category of food. But you can't compare that slice of pizza to the food we ate at Alinea, even though they are in the same general category. You have to go to the source. You have to go to the restaurant to experience really what food at Alinea is like. And can I say that's just like our Heavenly Father. We have to go to the source. We can't, with all due respect, in, uh, uh, receive the love from our earthly fathers, even the good ones, and try and compare that to the love of our heavenly father. With all due respect, and I say this about myself because I'm a father too, comparing the love of, of earthly fathers to heavenly fathers is like eating a slice of pizza compared to going to a linear. We need to go to the source. We need to go to the father. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good, as David writes in Psalm 34. So the door to more being, the door to being all in, starts with knowing that my heavenly Father names me. The second thing that Paul picks up on in in this passage in Ephesians chapter 3 is the door to more being, or the door to being all in, starts secondly with knowing that my heavenly Father is faithful. Verse 16, he says, uh, he is our heavenly father who answers our prayers out of his glorious riches. I was thinking this week that and is an often overused and underappreciated word. <laughs> and, and there was this great commercial that Ford put out about, gee, about eight or ten years ago uh, for one of their cars. And they kind of played on this idea of, of the importance of the word And. And in, in this scene, there is this couple driving in one of the Ford cars, and they're discussing this particular vehicle. And the one says to the other, this car has great mileage and is a great drive. That's way better than having great gas mileage or being a great drive. That's like using nuts or bolts. I, I, I thought that was funny. <laughs> the, point, the point that I'm trying to make is when it comes to nuts and bolts, and is very important. And is very important. And when it comes to God being willing and able to answer our prayers and fulfill his promises, let me say and is a very important word too. God is willing to answer our prayers and fulfill his promises because he is our heavenly father who names us. 
but he is also able to answer our prayers and fulfill his promises because he does so out of his glorious riches. Look at verse 20. Just how able is he? Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, or in some translations, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine. It would be completely sufficient for that verse to say, God is able. Because God is, at, is alive and God is working in our life. But the verse is far more specific. It goes on to say, God is able to do what we ask. You see, God, God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers and he loves to be the source of, of supplying our needs. But this verse goes even further. It says, God is able to do what we ask or imagine. God even answers the prayers that we think and haven't yet had the time to, to put into words. Have you had experiences like that? Well, you haven't, even, you haven't even articulated the thing that you're asking for, and God answers those prayers. But wait, there's more. This verse goes on to say, God is able to do all that we ask or imagine. It's impossible to out-ask or out-imagine God. And just as if it can't get any better, the verse actually says God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. God doesn't just love us. God lavishes his love on us. God doesn't just pour out grace. He lavishes us with grace. And still, this is not the full story. Because the verse says God is able to do abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. You see, the measure that God uses, uses is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's, it's the, the, the word for abundance is, is actually in the Greek super abundance. Like a market compared to a supermarket is, God's, is our abundance to God's super abundance. And then one final thing. If, if all of that wasn't enough, actually what the verse says is God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, which is the word, actually, it's a made-up word in the Greek. It means hyperabundance. That's the abundance of God. It's hyper. It's above everything else. It, verse 20 in the Amplified actually says this. Now, to him who is able to carry out his purpose and to do superabundantly more than all we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. Last week, Eric sent me a text with a, a line from a sermon that he had listened to by Bill Johnson about the, the, the ability or the power that God's word contains to fulfill itself. And he said this to me, the, the, the line that Eric quoted is this, no word from God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. Powerful. So that's why when, when Gabriel goes to Mary and, and says to Mary, it is God's will that you would conceive a child to be the Savior. And Mary says, how will this be so? This sounds impossible. And Gabriel says, no word from God will ever fail. The best way I can illustrate it is, is if I were to say, let there be light. You know and I know that nothing will happen separate from me declaring that statement and then physically walking to a light switch and turning the light switch on. But with God, it's altogether different. When God says, let there be light, there is light. Why? Because God's word contains power within it to fulfill itself. 
That's the, that's the encouragement that we have when God speaks promises over our lives. And so when God promises reconciliation in the face of a relational challenge, or when God promises wholeness and joy instead of brokenness and sorrow, when God promises wisdom in a difficult job situation or an approval in a visa application, Aidan and Eloise, or healing when facing sickness, or community and belonging to replace loneliness, when God promises provision in the midst of a financial crisis, when God promises a church building to call home, despite the challenging political environment of Chicago, we can respond with, I trust you, Lord, because we know God is willing and able to fulfill his promise and his word contains the power within to fulfill itself. Which is why we can say we trust God with all of our hearts and we are all in because our heavenly father is faithful. The door to more being, to being all in, starts with knowing my heavenly father names me. Secondly, knowing that my heavenly father is faithful. And thirdly and lastly, the door to more being, the door to being all in, starts with knowing that my heavenly father fills me with his presence. And I want to just take some time, a few moments, to unpack verse 17 through 19. Some of the most mind-blowing, challenging verses I think are found in Scripture. Uh, to be honest, I don't fully understand everything that uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul was trying to communicate, but I'm going to do my, do my utmost. He says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And I want to take kind of five to seven minutes to do a little Bible study on those particular verses because they are so rich and so necessary for us to understand what God is saying. Paul is wanting us to, to grasp something, not, not just something. He's wanting us to grasp everything. He's wanting us to grasp the magnitude of God's love. He's wanting us to grasp how, how wide it is, that no one is excluded. He's wanting us to grasp the, the length of God's love, that it stretches from eternity past into eternity future. He's wanting us to grasp the depth of God's love, that Jesus endured God forsaking him for you and me. He's wanting us to understand the height of God's love, that in Jesus, you and I are, are elevated to be seated at the Father's right hand. And, and this word grasp, Paul is not saying, I want you to intellectually understand it. That's not what the word grasp means. It's something far more aggressive, even violent. It means to wrestle. It means to seize. It means to overpower. Paul wants us to overpower this truth. Paul wants us to seize this truth. Paul wants us to take this truth and wrestle it to the ground so that we can understand it completely. That's what he is, he's after. So to, to grasp this, 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 the magnitude of God's love, there are a couple things that he says needs to happen. Firstly, we need to be rooted and established in God's love. Verse 17. Now, now this is a bit of a head scratcher. Just, just think for me for a moment. Think with me for a moment. Paul says, in order to grasp God's love, we need to be rooted in God's love. It's a little bit confusing. In order to, to grasp and understand God's love, you need to be rooted in God's love. Forgive me for the trite illustration, but this is, I'm going to do my best to try and, and explain what I think Paul is saying. Cast your mind back to Christmas Day. You're in your pajamas. You're with your family. Gifts have been opened. Hearts are full. Trash is in the black bin, the, the, the black bag. Everyone is excited. And if you're anything like my, my family, I think everyone does this, actually. 
all the gifts are open, you, you gather your gifts into a little pile, and you take them off to your room just for 10 minutes to be alone so that you can inspect your gifts a little more with a little bit more intensity. Can anyone relate? You take, you take the coffee mug. It's a coffee mug. You've seen them a thousand times in your life, and you look at it. You take the water bottle, and you open the water bottle. Oh, look. It opens like every other water bottle. You try the slippers on as if you've never worn slippers before. And you have no intention of going outside because you're in your PJs. But you take the scarf and you put the scarf around your neck. You see, the point I'm trying to make is now that the gift is yours, you explore it in a far greater detail than you would if you passed the coffee mug on a shelf at Target or saw the scarf wrapped on a mannequin at Gap. You see, because it's yours, you dig into it far deeper. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying through salvation, you are now rooted and established in God's love. That's a done deal. It's yours. It's given. Now spend the rest of your life exploring its magnitude. That's what Paul is saying. Caden did exactly the same thing. You've heard me use this illustration. First time I took him to the science museum, I bought him tickets to the whole museum. He took 20 minutes to explore the lobby and thought that was it. And I said, buddy, we've got the whole day to explore the museum. That's how so many of us live. We receive God's love. We step over the threshold and say, great, Lord, that's great. That's it. No, you've got a lifetime to explore the length, breadth, depth, and height and magnitude of God's love and God's kingdom. To grasp the magnitude of God's love, we need to be rooted in God's love. To grasp the magnitude of God's love, look at verse 18. Two more things we need. We need the power of God. This is not, we, we need a move of the Holy Spirit to, to pour out God's love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Friends, in all reality, we don't have enough containers in our heart to carry the fullness of God's love. And so God's love is poured out into my heart And it fills up and overflows so that God's love can impact others. That's the picture of Romans 5.5. God pours out his love abundantly into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And to grasp God's love, verse 18 says we need one another. You reflect and understand and know God's love so differently to me. And to know God's love more fully, I need you. And when I forget about God's love, I need you to remind me. I need you to encourage me. And so Paul is saying, then Paul's prayer, look at the, if you carry on in verse 18, Paul's prayer is that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know God's love that surpasses knowledge means to experience this love that surpasses human understanding. I want you to notice the three things that Paul uses to describe God's love. Rooted in God's love, grasping the magnitude of God's love, and then knowing God's love that surpasses knowledge. But what Paul is not saying, these are not levels of love that we experience. Don't, don't think of this like three dudes going to a worship conference or whatever, and, they, and they, they're in the Uber on the way home, and the one dude says, oh my goodness, I was totally blown away. I was rooted in God's love. And the other guy says, oh, that was nothing. I grasped the magnitude of God's love. And then the third dude says, oh, listen, I had an experience far better than all of you. I got to know God's love that surpasses understanding. That's not what's going on here. Don't see levels. See facets. See different expressions. See different experiences of God's love. Now, this is the point that I want to make with all of this. We cannot experience 
God's love without being filled by God's presence. We cannot experience God's love without being filled with God's presence. But what happens is our less than perfect experience of love in general causes us to be suspicious of God's motive when he, pours out our, when he wants to pour out his love into our hearts. When we know God's love to the extent that Paul is describing, when we know God's love to the extent of being rooted and grasping and knowing it in, in a way that surpasses knowledge, our only response can be to surrender. Our only response can to to be to stop playing the games that we play by giving God bits and pieces of our heart but holding some back. Our only response can be to say, God, I, I don't want there to be limitations and hesitation from me. Our only response can be to stop trying to figure it out intellectually and surrender to him wholeheartedly. Our only response can be to stop resisting the fullness that he wants to give us. Look at, verse, look at verse 19. He fills us to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, the, the limitation is not on God's side. The limitation and hesitation to receive the fullness of God is always from our side. I've, I've started to, to bake over the holidays, and I've, I've loved it. And there's a number of things I've learned about baking, but, but two things that are pertinent to, to this illustration of, or this point of God filling us with all the fullness of Christ is this. That in baking, there is a particular and precise measure that you use. You know, half a cup of sugar or a cup of flour. Very precise. I, I, you know, very precise. And I love that because I'm a precise person. But the second thing I've realized is when I take a cup of flour, I deplete the source of flour. But God says he doesn't use a cup or two cups measure. The measure God uses is fullness. And God can give me and pour out his love in me, and fill me with his presence, with the fullness that he wants to give me, without depleting any resources that prevents him from doing the same with you. That's what Paul is trying to say. Peter Scazzaro, who wrote this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says this, living and swimming in the river of God's deep love for us, his acceptance of us, and his presence in us through Jesus is at the very heart of true spirituality and maturity. Resting in his love and nearness enables us to trust God and surrender to his will and know his presence, especially when truths seem so contrary to what we see, feel, or figure out ourselves. This experiential knowing of God's love, acceptance, and presence provides the only sure foundation for loving and accepting our true selves. Only the love of God in Christ is capable of bearing the weights of our true identity. The door to more being starts with knowing that our Father names us knowing that our Father is faithful, and knowing that our Father fills me. The greatest gift we can give this world, friends, is a complete me rooted in the love of Jesus. One day I know I'm going to have to stand before the Father, just like any of you or every one of you. And I know that God is not going to say to me, Steve, why were you not more Mark? Or why were you not more Taylor? But he might ask me, why was I not more Steve? And I trust that's not going to be the case with me because I want to be all in. And I trust that's not going to be the case with you. And I trust that's not going to be the case with church in the city. 
I trust that God's not going to stand, ask us to stand before him as it were as a church, which I know it's not going to happen theologically, but just imagine that we, we, we were to. I trust that God would not say to us as a church, church in the city, why were you not more like Park? Why were you not more like Bethel? Why were you not more like whatever church? As great, as awesome as those churches are, he wants us to be more like church in the city. So my question to you is, are you all in? Are you all in? We're going to end with three quick questions. I want to make sure that we always bring a practical application. The questions are going to come up behind me. I've got two minutes left. Questions behind me. You can take a photograph of them if you want. But three quick questions to land this and bring something that you can think through the rest of this week. Firstly, my first question, how will you allow God to lead you to quiet waters so that you can experience his unconditional love, acceptance, and presence? I want you to think about that this week. How will you allow God to lead you to quiet waters so that you can experience his unconditional love, acceptance, and presence? Paul starts this passage with, I kneel before the Father. Friends, there are times we need to stop. There are times we need to stop, and we need to stop regularly. And by stopping, we remind ourselves that God is on the throne and we are not. It reminds us of our limitations and our dependence upon God. When I am still, this, this, this compulsion within me, this, this unbiblical anxiety that is within me to, to more doing, when, I, when I'm still, God can cut through the layers in my heart and show me what his true plan and purpose is for me. I can give myself to hearing his voice and therefore more being rather than more doing. The second thing I want to ask us is what might be a way that you can in love serve, honor, or bless someone in this community? And I'm asking specifically in this community, what might be a way this week that you can, in love, serve, honor, or bless someone in this community? You need me to be all in. And guess what? I need you to be all in if we are to fulfill the purpose of God. And as I said earlier, we we limit the outpouring of the the presence of God in our lives to the degree to which we limit our, our, our involvement in community. When the Spirit of God was poured out in Acts chapter 2, what was birthed? A community called the church. Community is hard. It's complicated. It's not always reciprocated. There are times we have to fight for it, and there are times we have to let others into our hearts. But God says, I will not be mocked. What you sow, you will reap. Let's Let's sow community over these coming weeks. And then lastly, what might your day or your week or your life look like if you removed the hesitation and limitation and allowed God to fill you with a measure called fullness? Ponder that. What might your day or your week or your life look like if you removed the hesitation and limitation and allowed God to fill you with a measure called fullness? It would have been so easy for me to stand here this morning and to end the series called All In and to give you seven things that we need you to do as a church. All right, friends, here are the seven things that you need to do. You need to give more, you need to be more, uh, uh, sorry, you need to give more, you need to to pray more, and give you a list of to-dos. But I don't think that would have honored God's word. To be all in is not an invitation to more doing. It's an invitation to more being. And when we discover the door to, 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 to more being, we discover it leads to more of the kingdom of God, more of the presence of Jesus, more of our lives filled with the fullness that God wants to give us.
I want us to end this morning by breaking bread. So I'm going to ask just two quick things. Firstly, if the worship team wouldn't mind coming up real quick. Secondly, just to explain to you, if you've never broken bread with us here at Church in the City, we do things a touch differently. So um, it's okay to talk while you come down the aisles to, to pick up uh, juice and to pick up bread. Um, it's not meant to be um, always an introspective, kind of super introverted moment. This is an opportunity for us to enjoy uh, each other, to enjoy community, to enjoy what Jesus has done for us. And so what I'm going to invite you guys to do is, in a moment when I finish uh, rambling off the instructions, is I'm going to ask you to stand and make your way. To my left, there is some grape juice, and to my right, there is bread. I do apologize. I forgot to get gluten-free. So if you are celiac, um, I humbly apologize. Um, It slipped my mind. I wasn't able to get gluten-free bread. But there's a variety of bread. Don't take a little little nip. Take a a healthy chunk of bread. And we're going to celebrate the the goodness of Jesus together. Come back to your seats. And then we're going to reflect on uh, this morning's message by enjoying breaking bread together. So why don't you stand up? Come on down. Grab some grape juice. uh, Grab a chunk of bread. um, And then we'll break bread together this morning as a church as we end. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City, all of Jesus for everyone.